Thank you all for worshiping through singing and through praying. And now we're going to spend a few minutes worshiping through the word together. Uh, so if you have a Bible, would you open it up to Acts chapter 15? Uh, it's in the New Testament, the book of Acts in chapter 15. Get out your listening outline and a pen so you can write some things in along the way. And as you do that, let me say welcome to those of you in the contemporary service and those of you joining us online and on television. I'm really glad that you're with us today as well. Now let me just acknowledge up front that Acts 15 is not exactly a typical Mother's Day passage. Uh, so why are we looking at it today? Well, part of the reason is that we're currently reading through the book of Acts in our chapter a day readings. And so I started thinking about today, that's the first place I went to see what we've read this week, what we would be reading and Acts 15 uh, really reminds us of the centrality of the gospel in our mission. And what is our mission? Well, it's to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. And if we're going to do that faithfully, then we have to keep the gospel at the center of that mission. And we've got to be extremely clear on what the gospel is. Now, our mission is not limited to parenting, but if you're a parent, if you're a mom, then parenting certainly is part of that mission. In fact, if you're a mom, then a significant part of your mission in life is to make disciples of your children right there in the home. And as Acts 15 reminds us, to be faithful in that mission, we got to keep the gospel central and be really clear on what the gospel is. And so in that way, Acts 15 really helps us with our parenting. So we're sort of going to view it through that framework today. The gospel is what your children need from you more than anything else. It's not the only thing they need from you. But it's what they need more than anything else. So you can see, that's why I've titled today's message, The Gospel Our Children Need. Now, I'm also aware that not everyone in the room or everyone watching is a parent. So, I provided an alternate title. The other possible title for you is, Making Sure We Get the Gospel Right. It's the same message either way, but you get to choose the title today that you prefer for your life. So, you pick the title, and we're going to look at Acts 15. Now, here's what's going on, a little bit of the background uh, Paul and Barnabas had just been on a missionary journey, taking this mission trip to a number of places and shared the gospel with people. They told people the good news about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And lots of people, including Gentiles from a non-Jewish background, heard that gospel. They repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus. They became his followers. And churches were planted in all these cities. And then Paul and Barnabas kind of returned to their home base and they were given a report of what all had happened and they were celebrating these great things that God was doing and bringing people to faith in Jesus. He was saving them and churches were being planted. It was great. And then some people came along and sort of poured some cold water on their celebration. That ever happened to you? You're just super excited about something and somebody comes along and does their absolute best to burst your bubble. That's kind of what happens here is they're celebrating these great things that God had been doing. It says in verse 1, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, 
unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Circumcision was put in place by God in the Old Testament. It was meant to be sort of a sign or a marker for his people. And so every male that was born into a Jewish family would receive that sign or that mark of circumcision. But here in the New Testament, you got Gentiles who were believing in Jesus. They weren't from a Jewish background. They'd never been circumcised. But they believed in Jesus and were becoming part of the church. And so some people came along and said, wait, wait, that, that's great that you believe in Jesus. That's good. That's important. Maybe even necessary. But there's more to it than that in order to be saved. If you want to be saved, you also have to be circumcised. In fact, they just said you cannot be saved unless you're circumcised. And we see a few verses later that circumcision was sort of a window into the entire Old Testament law. And so they're really saying, look, if you want to be saved, yes, believe in Jesus. That's great. That's good too. But you also have to fulfill the Old Testament law to a satisfactory standard. It takes both of those things in order to be saved. That's what they were saying. So it raises a really important question for us. Would you write it in? Here's the question. Is faith in Jesus really enough for salvation? It's an important question for us today, even if we don't spend a lot of time debating the role of circumcision in the Old Testament law and our salvation. We deal with some similar issues. See, it's really possible for us either consciously or subconsciously to begin to think, yeah, I need to believe in Jesus to be saved, but I also need to be good enough. I also need to try really hard. I need to do my part. I'm thankful that God has done his part in Christ, but I got to sort of meet him halfway. I've got to contribute something here. And that can start creeping into our thinking that we should and even can contribute something to our salvation. And so it raises this question then, is faith really enough? These people said no. They were very clear on their answer. They said, no, it's not enough. And so what's at stake here then is the glory of the gospel itself. It's the sufficiency of the atoning work of Jesus for his people. That's what's at stake when they come in and teach this. And so look at how Paul and Barnabas respond. Verse 2 says, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. I love that wording. Have you ever had no small debate in your house? Maybe no small dissension at work? I think it's a way of saying they were pretty fired up about this. They didn't settle for some sort of artificial harmony in the church when it came to this issue. This was a fight they were willing to engage in. Why? Because the gospel itself was at stake and they would not compromise on that. And so they entered no small dissension and debate. And after that, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And so they did, they went. And verse six says, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Not hear the gospel and 
do anything else. Hear the gospel and believe. Now, he's referring to something that's recorded in Acts 10. A time when God told Peter to go to the house of a Gentile named Cornelius and share the good news of Jesus with Cornelius and his family. And Peter did that and they heard this news and they believed it. They believed that Jesus really was Savior, that he really was Lord and they placed their faith in him. And Peter says a couple of really important things happened. Verse 8 says, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them. By giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, those who were circumcised and those who were not. No no distinction, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter says, look, I've been there. I've taken the gospel to Gentiles. They believed in Jesus. And then here's what happens. Write it in. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who believe in Jesus. Why is that important? Because when the gift of the Holy Spirit is evidence that God had actually saved those people and he had done it apart from works of the law. That's not all. In verse 9, write this in, it teaches us that God cleanses the hearts of those who believe in Jesus. Again, he says, God made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts. Isn't that a beautiful image to have our hearts cleansed? Any of you in the last couple months seen any yellow stuff around, maybe in the air or on your car? We've just sort of gone through that season where every time you walk outside, there's just sort of this yellow haze and you got a yellow car, whether you like it or not, for a couple months out of the year. I'll tell you where I notice it most um, is the back porch of our house. Uh, We've got this back porch. I love it. We like to sit out there and talk and hang out and read or whatever. Cassie and I sometimes will just sit there and watch the kids play in the backyard. It's literally one of my favorite places in the entire world. But there are a couple months out of the year where it's completely unusable because of all the pollen. It looks like somebody just went out there and painted it all yellow. It is just solid yellow. You can't be out there, can't enjoy it. It drives me crazy. And so one day I looked at it and I just had enough. I wasn't sure if we were completely out of the woods yet. I knew it might be yellow again the next day. I was aware of that, but I just needed to see it clean at least for a minute. And so I got the hose in there and just started spraying it all out. And uh, it was like a a yellow river just sort of running through our porch and out the screened in door. And uh, my youngest one was out there with a broom helping get it out. And uh, Cassie took the covers off our cushions and washed them. And by the end of it, man, it was clean. The whole porch had been cleansed and it was great. It felt so good. And it was usable again. In fact, Cassie went out there right after that and was just kind of enjoying the porch. She came back in and she said, isn't that such a good picture of what God does for us? I thought, well, it sure is. It's a great picture of this phrase right here in Acts 15 when it says God cleansed their hearts. The Bible says that all of us have sin in our hearts. We have sinful desires and sinful affections and sinful tendencies. And those show up in what we say and how we act and our attitudes, a variety of ways, but it's traced back to our hearts and what we need then are clean hearts. In fact, you remember what David asked for in Psalm 51? One of the things he asked for is, God, would you create in me a clean heart? And the Bible says that's possible by the blood of Jesus. John tells us in 1 John 1 that we can be cleansed of all our unrighteousness. Oh, what good news! For our hearts to be cleansed, it's forgiveness, it's purification. 
And how does that happen? Do you notice that last phrase in verse 9? He cleansed their hearts by faith. He's emphasizing again, it was apart from any works of the law, apart from any good works that they or we could possibly offer. It's our union with Christ through faith that makes this cleansing possible. So in verse 10, he says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? He says, look, you don't keep the law like that. Uh, You're placing a standard on them that you don't meet. He says it's an impossible standard and it's an unnecessary burden. Would you write this in, that Jesus plus good works is no gospel at all. If the formula is, yes, believe in Jesus, also do enough good works, and then you can be saved, that is not good news for us. Why? Because we'll never pull off the good works part of that formula. In fact, we already have it. That ship has sailed. We have sinned. We have come up short of that standard, and we'll continue to. And so if that's the formula, it is not good news. That is condemning for all of us. Fortunately, the true biblical gospel is great news for us. The biblical gospel is that Jesus has lived a perfect life and that he died then not for his own sins, but for the sins of his people. And he came back to life. And so that everyone who believes in him is united to him in such a way, the Bible says, that his perfection, his righteousness is counted as yours. And your sin has been punished on the cross. And once you're in Christ, good works will certainly flow from that. In fact, it's necessary. They must flow from that if you are genuinely in Christ. But everything necessary in order for you to be saved has already been accomplished by Jesus. That is the life-giving, liberating news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter makes clear here. And so he concludes in verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. He's saying whatever your background, whatever your religious background, whatever your personal background, whatever sins you've got as part of your story, whatever baggage you bring to the table, he's saying there's one way to be saved. And here it is, write it in. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's those glorious Reformation doctrines. Martin Luther didn't come up with them, did he? That debate started long before then. It's affirmed here in Acts 15, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Or as Paul would write in Ephesians 2, he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So let's return to our question that we started with, is faith in Jesus really enough for salvation? And what's the answer? Yes. Thanks be to God, the answer is yes. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ for the glory of God. Friends, that's the gospel that our children need. 
That's the gospel that the next generation needs to hear. Because they're gonna hear a lot of other messages from the world. We need to make sure we are very committed and we are crystal clear on this gospel. And we're passing that on to the next generation in the home and as a church. By the way, if you are here, you're watching and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, then get in touch with us. Shoot me an email. Let me know you'd like to talk more about that. We'd love to talk more with you about salvation in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this truly good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Father, I pray that we would stay committed to it. We would stay clear on what the gospel is and we would proclaim it every chance we get to everyone we can, all for your glory. And we ask that in the name of Jesus, amen.